So there's this dish called murasab uh, polo, or it's also referred to as jawahar polo. Jawahar means, I think, diamond or jewels, right? Mm-hmm. And in English, it's actually called jeweled rice. That's the translation for it. So this might be like the most elaborate dish that I could think of in the Persian. Hello, I'm Dee Dee Madigan, and you're listening to Home Plates, a podcast all about food. I hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving break. Hopefully you were able to eat some good food and didn't get into many fights with your family members. And hopefully you were able to catch up on some of your favorite podcasts, like this one. Do not forget to subscribe. We are now on iTunes and Google Play. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Speaking of which, next Wednesday will be the last episode of Home Plates for Season 1. Fear not, we will be back next quarter, but in the meantime, next week we'll have a special episode where you will be hearing from familiar voices that you hear on the Soundbite Network right here. I'll be joined by some other podcast hosts and we'll talk about our few traditions for the holidays. This week on Home Plates, I talk all about Persian food. Don't mistake it for Arabic food, it is very different. My guest Samim discusses just about everything that has to do with Persian food. So be sure to keep listening. You're listening to Home Plates. Welcome to another episode of Home Plates. Here with me today, I have Samim. He is not from Iran, but he is first generation Iranian, and he's here to talk all about Persian food. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Hey everyone, I'm Samim. Shout out to Grace for having me. <laughs> <laughs> One slight correction I'd like to make is that it's actually pronounced Iran, not Iran. Iran from now on. For me, that was my bad. So no, sorry. It's all Samim. good. It's all good. Most people don't know that, but I just like to clarify. Correct me with anything I say, please. That's why I have experts on the show like yourself. <laughs> So usually my first question is, what was the first meal you had when you came to America? But you were born here? I guess we could look at the inverse of that question. So I've been to Iran many times over the course of my life. Since I was a kid, when I first went, I don't necessarily recall what the first meal I had was. But usually when I go to Iran, the first night I get there, it's like this huge gathering of all my extended family, my aunts, my uncles, and... This actually, I guess, leads us into Persian cuisine, which is where we're going anyways. But kebabs are typically, especially uh, kebab kubide, which is ground beef. It's seasoned ground beef, and it's served with white rice. And that's basically the staple dish of Iran. It's like the, I guess, most famous dish. And typically, whenever, like, the same night we get there, always, it's just like skewers upon skewers of uh, cholo kebab. So it's one of my favorites too. First off, where's your family from in Iran? My family's from this province called Khuzestan, which is in the southwestern region of Iran. Uh, it's actually on the Persian Gulf too. So especially in the cook, the regional cooking, there's more emphasis on seafood. So there's more incorporation into the cuisine and it relatively it tends to have more emphasis on spices as opposed to the rest of Iranian cooking. Okay, <laughs> awesome. And uh, how many times have you been back to Iran then? I think seven. 
Okay, so yeah. quite a few times. Yeah, usually I go like every two to three years, average. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about your travels in Iran then? Do you usually just visit family or have you traveled around the country? Sure, so I actually have family interspersed in the country. Even though, like I said, the bulk of my family resides in Khuzestan province. I've been to a lot of the major cities. I've gone on many road trips. So I've seen a great part of the country. What I will say is that every region, because Iran is such an ethnically diverse place, every region tends to have its own special dishes or unique dishes. It's famous, like they're well known for particular foods, particular pastries, desserts, and it's very vibrant. You know, you just travel through different places and all of a sudden you're somewhere where, let's say, it's very well known for its ice cream, for example. And then you go somewhere else and it's well known for maybe a stew in particular. I should have started maybe earlier with this. I think a lot of people, because they recognize Iran, and but they lump it together with other Arabic right. uh, nations, but it's important to distinguish Iran as not Arabic, it's Persian. Can you talk True. a little bit about that? Right, so Iran has a very unique culture that is vastly different from Arabic culture. I guess things that they would share in common, the written script is one, the religion, so Islam. Although Iran is predominantly Shia Muslim and the rest of the Arab world is predominantly Sunni Muslim, so even that's a little bit of a disparity. And then also, I'd say that's about it, really. Because the language is different and the customs, the traditions, just the culture in general is completely different. So we, there's not that much in common. It's, I don't think, especially not the cuisine. The cuisine is also vastly different, but I guess they're geographically close. Thank you for that. One of the things I also like to ask is to get a better idea of what the food we're talking about is like, is if you were to have some friends over for a dinner and they wanted like an authentic Persian meal, what would you serve them? If you could order from any place and like any dish, you know, that wasn't an issue, what would you serve them? Like go through the apps and the main meal and of course dessert, you can't forget dessert. Of course. Yeah. Like I was uh, saying earlier, kebabs are like a go-to, really. If you go to most restaurants that are here as well, that's one of the main dishes that you'll see on the menu. It's a good starting point, you know? I mean, Persian cuisine isn't just kebabs, but <laughs> it's something that's definitely worth trying early on, I'd say. And that's one thing that I'd be like, all right, guys, let's grill, right? So pull out the grill, get some rice, and then have some kebab. But also, there's a lot of really famous stews, which are called khoresh, and some of those include uh, like khoresh ghaymeh, there's khoresh karafs, there's fesenjun, and warme sabzi, which are all different kinds of stews essentially, but they're all very different too. But those are some of the more popular ones. The thing is, what I will say is that these are the well-known dishes, and there's many I don't want to call them secret, but like family recipes for dishes that most people don't know about. Especially like I was saying earlier about how regionally speaking, there's different ingredients, maybe even different people have different preferences in terms of their palates. And you just see recipes that have been contained in families mm -hmm. for a very long time, but like 
maybe even in the same city, another family doesn't even know about this recipe. So there's a lot of opportunities to explore. But yeah, back to your original question <laughs> though. So I would say yeah, kebabs is a good start. Like that's a good starting point, and then a bunch of the different stews. Those would be good main courses. And for dessert, well, there's one called falude, which is actually very ancient. And the history behind it is that Persians were actually the first to invent the concept of a refrigerator. Iran is a like warm environment, right? And the concept is <laughs> that they had underground canals that originated in aquifers underneath mountains. So they would carve these canals like, I don't know, 60, between 60 and 200 feet under the earth. And by a bunch of physical laws, like Bernoulli's effect, actually, there were these structures that they look kind of like domes and they're just huge structures. And the way it works is that the air, as it's, channel, as it's channeled through the structure, it becomes cooled. So what they were able to do was even in the middle of summer store ice in like 100 degree weather, you have ice and then you're able to make ice cream. And this um, dessert that I was referring to, falude, what it is is it's, I think it's called vermicelli. They're these noodles, the rice noodles, mm -hmm. very thin. And what you do is you, I don't know the exact process, but you cook <laughs> them first and then you bathe them essentially in sugar water and rose water. Because rose water, I was, I'll get there, but <laughs> rose water is a very just inherently Persian ingredient. Whenever you, whenever you think of Persian cuisine, hallmark ingredients of that would be rose water, saffron, those two especially. And Falude has a lot of rose water in it, and it's a very distinct flavor, and it's like aromatic, and it smells awesome, and tastes great too. But... That would be something that I would like for dessert. There's a lot of other pastries as well. Oh, that sounds like a great dinner. <laughs> would there be anything that your guests should know etiquette-wise or manners-wise if they were to come over? I mean, you always have to thank the cook or whoever cooked the meal when you're done. That's very important. Otherwise, it's very disrespectful if you forego that. Other specific etiquette rules? Not that I know of. Usually it's a very, the thing is, all right, so when you get together with people to have a meal, traditionally in Iran, there's this thing called sofre, which is basically like the tablecloth, I guess. It's not really a cloth, but it's the, the surface on which you eat the food. It's usually on the ground, and then mm. all the main dishes are placed on this, and all the side dishes. One other thing about Persian food is that there's always fresh herbs on the table, and that includes like green onions, basil, radishes, and this is a must. People just sit there, conversate while they're eating. It's a very loud kind of, not, it doesn't have to be, but it's usually very social, right? It's, it's not like you just sit there in silence and eat the food. You're, you're joking with people, you're just having a good time. So that's the traditional way of doing it, and that's usually the atmosphere. It's very lively. That's, I guess, another unique aspect of it. Let's go back to the rose water, like mm -hmm. you were talking about. How? Why is it such a trademark, landmark item in Persian food? Well, that's a really good question. I, the history behind it, I'm not quite sure. I know that the specific rose that they distill the rose water from, it's called Gola Mohammadi, and it has this very, very pretty pink hue to the to the flower itself, and it smells amazing too. I would I would describe it as a uplifting kind of smell but it's just very fragrant, fragrant scent. They distill tons of this. The reason why it's so, it's usually incorporated into desserts, 
more so. Also, the flavor of, let's say, pistachios is pretty common as well in Persian desserts. It's not used so much in main dishes, I'd say, just because I think it was just a combination of it being prevalent there, and someone was like, this smells good, let's distill it. I mean, I don't know the actual story behind yeah. how, they, how they were like getting from the flour to the rose water, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's a good call on whoever decided to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's mostly used in desserts, and it's uh, it adds it doesn't add too strong of a flavor because they use it in moderation, but it it's definitely noticeable, and it also contributes that like I said, the fragrance which makes the whatever the dessert is smells just so much better. Yes, I've had rose water flavored things before, and it's just like the flavor of it is so delicious. Like right, it's right. you know not something you find. I think you find very commonly in desserts around here, you know, but when you do find something with it, I think it's a good call to try it because it's very delicious. Yeah. Are there any places around here, the U District or Seattle, that are uh, good Persian food? That's a great question. So actually right up the Ave on, I want to say 55th Street, there's a Persian restaurant called Paris Police Grill. Okay. And that's really close. Like, that's walking distance yeah. from here. So if you ever want to check that out, it's not too far. I think you could also take the bus. I think it's the 71. Yeah. And that's just, like, a quick bus ride. But on the east side, so that's the only one I know about in Seattle, like a proper sit-down restaurant. In Bellevue, there's one called Caspian, and that one's really well-known. It's been there for quite some time now. And there's also one that just opened recently in Kirkland called Zaytun Grill. And I haven't been there myself, but I've heard uh, very favorable reviews from my friends. So this is definitely worth checking out as well. The dishes that I did mention earlier, like kebabs, of course, and uh, the different stews, those would be featured on the menus of these restaurants for sure. And I didn't, I guess I haven't delved too much into the flavor profiles. I would say that Persian food has a lot of sour and sweet flavors in it. And it's very rich. It's very refined kind of flavors. There's not a lot of spice. I will say that. I think compared to Indian food, especially Persian food, I've had a lot of my Indian friends tell me that Persian food is bland. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just because something isn't spicy doesn't mean it's bland. (laughs) So there's that that contention there, but it's it's all in good spirit. (laughs) So I'm just like, it's rich in its own way. It's got a lot of I don't know, delicacy to it. The way that it's prepared, usually Persian food, it's prepared in a more elaborate way because there's a lot of different elements that have to come together and they all bring their own, I guess, force into mm-hmm. the into the dish. As far as spices go, I would say that there's a lot of emphasis on fresh herbs, especially in the cooking. So things like fenugreek, coriander, parsley, tarragon, watercress, uh, these are all really important. And as far as dry spices go, turmeric. Turmeric is a a very important (laughs) spice. And these are all flavors that you would notice in the cuisine. That's awesome that we can try Persian food right on the Ave. That's convenient. I've like definitely walked past that place. Uh, What would you recommend ordering then? For first time, it really depends on what you're in the mood for though, because if you're really hungry, I would go with the kebabs because that's really filling. It's just like a big meal, you know. But if you're just, if you're trying to, you know, maybe, I wouldn't call it a snack, but if you're not so hungry, I'd definitely go with one of the stews. 
Fesenjun would be a really good choice. So this is something that is also like uniquely Persian. I mean, I know it's the dishes from Iran, but it's it's a stew that consists of walnut puree and pomegranate syrup or pomegranate paste. And this combination ends up with something that's rich and savory because of the walnut puree. And the pomegranate syrup adds a sweet and sour kind of flavor. And I feel like that combination itself is what really makes the dish. It's cooked over a long period of time, like. They start in the morning and it's slow cooked throughout the day, so the flavors really permeate into the chicken and it's served with white rice. And I'd say that's a that's a really good first dish to try, you know, because it's not something you would commonly come across. Like that that kind of flavor is it's inherently Persian. <laughs> Especially pomegranates. So pomegranates um, themselves, either fresh or incorporated into the food, are another hallmark of Persian cuisine, I'd say. Cool, I didn't know that. Yeah, pomegranates. <laughs> so now you know the place to go and what to order when you go there. I was curious about, because you're not from Iran, did you grow up eating Persian food? Right, so at home, uh, my mom, most nights, she for dinner she would cook uh, Persian meals. There's a lot of them. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like, naturally. <laughs> I mean, I have favorites, though. Let's put it that way. I don't want to hate on my mom's cooking. <laughs> um, <laughs> So let's go back to your travels in Iran. Specifically, do you have any like food experiences from your travels? New thing, new foods that you discovered there, or patterns or things that you noticed in different regions? Sure. So a few years back when I went, I we went on a road trip to a city called Tabriz, which is in the northwestern part of the country, and what's unique about Tabriz is that ethnically they're Turks. So they're like Turkish Iranians. They identify as Iranians, but they also speak Turkish. They have this thing there called bonab kebab, which is different. It's another kind of kebab, but it's different than the ones. And especially Tabriz is very famous for its kebabs. Like I know I said that Iran in general, like that's one of the staple dishes, right? Like that's one of the famous dishes. But this city in particular is very well known, very renowned for its kebabs. And bonab kebab in particular, I think. The main difference is that you eat it with bread as opposed to rice. It's slightly different in terms of the preparation, I'd say. The, like in that particular region as well, they emphasize on sweetness. Like they really like, they have like a sweet tooth. <laughs> like the people there just like <laughs> sugar and honey and whatnot. Do you cook Persian food at all? I have a elementary <laughs> <laughs> level of Persian cooking skill. Okay. I'd say that. So I've spent a lot of time with my mom in the kitchen, <laughs> but I can't say I was always paying attention intently, <laughs> like trying to actually learn how to cook it. What I will say is that a lot of them, a lot of the different stews, especially, they start off uh, with just frying onions, sauteing onions. And then after that, you usually cook the meat with it, whatever it is, uh, chicken, beef, lamb. And then... Some dishes involve like a tomato paste, tomato puree, and then you add spices. Some dishes, they're more vegetable based, so you would, you'd cook the vegetables separately, I think, and then you add them. But foods that I do know how to, <laughs> there is one food that I do know how to make. Uh, it's called zersh polo. It's relatively simple. So what it is, is it's, um, polo means rice, but it's different, because cholo is specifically white rice, Polo can be any kind of rice. There's okay. many different kinds of rice. There's bagadi polo, which is made with fava beans and different herbs. That one's pretty unique. There's sabzi polo, which is made with dill. Okay. And there's, <laughs> there's actually a bunch. There's uh, kishmish polo, which has raisins in it. 
There's Adas Polo, which has lentils in it. <laughs> so it just goes on and on. And on. I actually, I, I know how to make those more or less. The rices are, they're pretty simple. There's Mosh Polo, which is mung bean, if you guys know what that is. And um, Shirin Polo, which uses uh, the peel of, the orange peel. Orange oh. peel. And it's actually caramelized, so it's even sweeter. Oh, that sounds it, good. It's really good. There's there's uh, Albalu Polo, which is uh, cherries. They use cherries, like... I think it is, yeah, it's cherries, mm-hmm. and they, they take the pit out, yeah. obviously, and it's just pitted cherries, and it's really sweet. So that's just kind of an overview of the different rices that we have, <laughs> but Zeresh is just white rice. The, but, but the thing is, the word Zeresh, it means barberries, so there are these little red berries that have a sour flavor to them. It's mostly sour, and then sometimes... People might add a little bit of sugar to it to sweeten it up, <laughs> just because it's very sour. But uh, they have this really nice red color to it, so it makes the food look so much more vibrant. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just that with uh, saut or just, just yeah sautéed chicken. What you do is you boil the chicken first, and then with with turmeric and onions, maybe a little bit of uh, well, I mean obviously salt and maybe some cayenne pepper. And then it just depends on how spicy you like things. Like I said, Persian cuisine isn't typically spicy at all, mm-hmm. especially compared to like Indian <laughs> cuisine, yeah. maybe Arabic cuisine. is most mild out of that general area. Yeah, so then you just saute the chicken, and it's pretty simple. There you go. <laughs> okay. That's one dish that I know how to make. So. <laughs> they can at least have a jumping-off point then, <laughs> research a little bit more. There are a lot of really well-known cookbooks out there. One that I know in particular is there's this uh, really acclaimed chef in Iran. Her name is Najmiya Batmanglij. And if you look her up, I think it's spelled like, her name is spelled N-A-J-M-I-E-H. And then her last name is Batman, like the superhero, (laughs) and then G-L-I-J. She has some really in-depth cookbooks that tell you more about the history behind the food. It's like all Very the knowledge cool. that I'm lacking, like <laughs> the gaps in my knowledge. Like I need to go read that cookbook, honestly. But it's it has the whole like gamut, all right? Like the entire like culinary repertoire yeah. of Persian cuisine. It's pretty much all in there in her cookbooks. So I'm sure there's others, but that's just the one that she's the one that I'm familiar with just because I've seen her name before. Mm-hmm. And so definitely worth looking into. Great. Thank you. That's a great recommendation. So hopefully our listeners like to cook because I've been giving them a bunch of cooking tips, whether they like it or not. I enjoy cooking, but I don't (laughs) make Persian food as much as I would like to. I do feel like it's difficult with a lot of these different, like, Asian cultures and stuff because they use so many different spices and, like, you need, like, high heat. So it's Mm. it's difficult to do in a... Or like a dorm room, nonetheless, if you have that. But yeah, even like a kitchen, it's it's difficult. You're part of the Persian club on campus, correct? I am. I'm the treasurer of the club. Would you like to talk about that? Here's your time to plug your club. <laughs> Thank you. So um, what we do is we're the Persian organization, Persian student organization on campus. And we're pretty prominent in the community. And we, we try to... I guess cater more towards UW students because we're a UW club and we have parties a lot of times like especially for Nowruz which is Persian New Year which is uh, on March 21st I believe it's actually my last name too <laughs> but um, it's a coincidence but that's usually our biggest event of the year uh, it's like 250 300 people 
turn up and <laughs> <laughs> we have a DJ and we actually do have Persian food there. All right. We we, uh, we hire a caterer. Nice. And they bring actually a lot of the dishes that I did mention, like lorme sabzi, which is a vegetable based stew, uh, and kebabs, of course. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely a really fun event. You guys should all come out to that. All right. <laughs> Mark your calendars now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, every year we, we grow. Okay. And I've been a member of the club for three years now, and I think every year we've improved in some way or another. Wonderful. So. Do you guys have meetings every week? We don't have, like, okay. general meetings. Mm -hmm. um, it's mainly just our events. Okay. We also have a Facebook page and an email list, so if you guys are interested, if you want to learn more about Persian culture, cuisine, or just have a great time, honestly, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So just Facebook, UW Persian Circle. There you go. Perfect. I will definitely mark my calendar for the Persian New Year because that sounds really good. All right. I like to ask my guests what this might. I'm not sure how this will work because usually I ask them their favorite drunk food and drunk food from their country. <laughs> so I, I assume that you probably have had some experience with drunk yeah, food. Yeah, I drunk I food. comments on that. The thing is, so Iran is a, like I said, it's a, Islamic nation. It's actually yeah. the Islamic Republic of Iran, <laughs> right? So, as you know very well, in Islam, alcohol is haram or forbidden. It's, it's just not allowed. It's illegal. So, the thing is, ironically, you, you could think of Iran right now as the U.S. during Prohibition era in the 20s. There's, like, there's not speakeasies, but people bootleg a lot of alcohol and there's a big black market for it they import it illegally there's this thing called arak sagi which literally means like dog distillate <laughs> because it's it's ironic because dogs don't sweat but this is like really like oh, strong like bootleg alcohol it's not that high quality either but people in iran drink a lot so okay. anyways when i go to iran you know like i guess like the police or whoever's supposed to be enforcing that i don't know if they don't know i'm sure if they know they're gonna fine you heavily mm -hmm. like you're gonna get in a lot of trouble because it's a big violation right of the islamic law but <laughs> nonetheless people get away with it a lot so my cousins and i we were drinking some arak sagi and uh i don't know we just had like leftover food that my my aunt would make or we would actually go out and just get ice cream or whatnot nothing huge but because we were kind of drunk <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a good experience it's it's a lot different than here i think like i haven't been to any huge parties but i know they have them especially in like the capital city tehran yeah i know they turn <laughs> up there, like for real <laughs> one question that i that I want to talk more about was like difference between Arabic food and Persian food. Yeah. What I will say ahead. is, I, I was alluding to this earlier, but Persian food is more, I think, refined in terms of its flavors. I think Arabic, you would use rustic more as the like descriptive term. In terms of spices, the thing is, you have to look back to the climate of the regions, and Iran is more temperate than the entire Arab world, pretty much, because it just has probably more rainfall. And for that reason, you can grow like a wider variety of spices mm. and herbs, like fresh herbs. So you're going to see that incorporated a lot more into the dishes. So definitely more of an emphasis on that. I'd say also the incorporation of fruits, maybe fresh fruits into the dishes as well. I'd also say like less oil is used. And even within the spices, differences being, I think 
Arabic food has a lot more allspice in it. And a big difference is that Persian food incorporates a lot more rice, whereas Arabic food is more grains or bread. Mm. So those are just some key differences. They are, like I said earlier at the very beginning, like they're very different culturally and likewise in terms of their cuisine. You wouldn't necessarily expect them to be that different, but surprisingly they are. One dish that I wanted to mention yeah, in particular. Go for it, go so for it. when I was saying I went over to my friend's house, uh-huh. I I didn't know this at the time, but I was in for a treat. So there's this dish called uh, Murasa Polo, or it's also referred to as Jawahar Polo. Jawahar means I think diamond or jewels, right? Mm-hmm. And in English, it's actually called jeweled rice. That's the translation for it. So this might be like the most elaborate dish that I could think of in the Persian repertory of cooking. What it is is it has white rice, saffron rice, okay? So saffron, like I said, it's actually one of the, if not the most expensive spice in the world. And I think Iran produces over 90% of it. Wow. Yeah, so I think if I had to sum up Persian food in one word, I'd say grandiose. There's a huge emphasis on, I wouldn't say luxury aspect of it, but it just has to be high quality. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much as like, like French cuisine, but it definitely the quality of the food and the sophistication of it as well like i said refinement that's really important so this dish the jeweled rice it has saffron rice as its base and then it has sauteed chicken it's like golden colored because it's uh cooked in turmeric and a little bit of saffron so it has a nice flavor to it and it's nice and tender, but a little crispy on the outside. You know, I mean, it's very healthy, too. So that's the protein. And then the actual rice itself consists of many different elements. So you have barberries, which, like I said earlier, they're these little red-colored sour berries. There's also raisins, so that adds a little bit of sweetness. There's pistachios. So pistachios are also one of the main ingredients in Iranian cuisine, especially in the desserts more so. But people just eat them raw, and I think Iran also produces probably the majority of the world's pistachios. But it has, like, I want to say, like, julienned pistachios. Mm. It also has almonds. Same thing, julienned almonds. Carrots. Julienne carrots, of course. <laughs> Walnuts. And I think that's about it. But when you consider this, it's got, it's got like, a medley of all these different fruits and nuts, and it just ends up being, like, a... <laughs> kind of like a... How should I say this? Your taste buds are just in a state of ecstasy, really. And it's like unlike anything I'd ever tasted before. And I think the reason why it's called jeweled rice is because the different elements actually represent jewels. Like the barberries Mm. represent rubies and the pistachios represent emeralds. Uh, I think it's also traditionally served at weddings more so because it's supposed to bring like sweetness into the... It's supposed to symbolize like sweetness for the couple. um, Yeah, for the bride and the groom. So... I think that's some symbolism behind it. I know I'm all over the place here, but now I'm just remembering. No, just keep going. I just remember random things. Just keep going. You're on a food show. Go for it. There's a certain, there's a concept called Nazri that my mom was telling me about. And what happens is if someone is going, is facing a hardship or they're going through some kind of struggle, some kind of plight in their life, what they do is they pray to God for whatever to be, I guess, cured or like to help the person overcome them. They ask God's assistance. And they say that if if they're if like God helps them overcome this struggle, they will cook a specific meal 
every year, and they will give it to all their neighbors every year for the rest of their life. Wow. It's a very interesting concept. And I remember my mom said when she was a kid growing up, there was they had this one neighbor, and I can't remember the like whatever their problem was that mm-hmm. they needed God's help for, but I guess whatever it was, God helped them. <laughs> and they they would always every year, year after year, bring this dish to my mom's house and all of their neighbors. And I guess it's like a repaying the debt mm-hmm. that is owed to the Almighty. <laughs> so that's a really interesting concept. Well, what's the dish? It could be any dish. Oh, it can just it, be any. It's thing. up to the person, okay. to their discretion. Okay. Um, but I think usually it tends to be a dish that's like very particular to that person, I would mm-hmm. think, because it, it, has to, it has to symbolize some kind of significance to that person, um, that they're willing to, I guess, prepare it year after year for yeah. everyone. <laughs> When you go to Iran, there's a lot of bazaars, markets. These are very colorful places. A lot of sounds, a lot of smells, a lot of sights. Not so much like food being prepared there. Not so it's not like a restaurant, but there's these huge like expanses of you have spice shops, you have like butchers, you have just many different like little shops and uh, boutiques kind of. I wouldn't call it a boutique, really, but they're just like, think old world market, really. And you have a bunch of people selling a bunch of different stuff, like all the different fruits, vegetables, nuts, spices, the different ingredients, essentially, right? And uh, that's where you get a much better sense for the ingredients, really. That's the way I'd put it. Most big cities then have them. Most big cities, and these are very ancient markets. Like, they've been there for thousands of years. It's not like this thing was just... I don't know, opened up a few days ago <laughs> yeah. in a QFC or something. Like, it's it's like maybe there's there's this one in, uh, there's a really famous one in the city of Shiraz. I think it's been there for like 3,000 years. And I think the same shop has been passed down from generation to generation. So the owners are all like descendants of the old shop. And it's the same trade. It's the same thing. So it's like you have like a family of butchers. You have a family of spice sellers. Yeah. And um it's just really interesting to see the different layouts, right? Like the way that they present the the goods. It's like an art. It's a really cool experience to go in there because you feel like you're stepping into a different time. It's like, it's a time machine, really. But you get the feeling that even though you're in 2017, you could be in like, I don't know, like 500 AD. And it's just a really interesting experience that I think everyone should have. I think that the cool thing about like Iran is that like you look at a map of like the Middle East and you see like all of these countries shift around and stuff or like the shapes of you know right but like you know the Persian Empire Iran what's significant especially like historically in antiquity about Iran is that there's actually a poet his name is a Mehdi Akhavan Salis and I think for any Persians out there listening to this they're gonna be like wow how does a like first generation Iranian <laughs> like Persian kid who was born here know about this? But he has a famous like his famous quote saying that Iran is nor Eastern nor Western nor Arab. Its significance is in its location and its geographical position. It's in the center of everything, really. It's if you look on the map, it's literally between Europe and uh, Asia, all the way from like you could say from China to like. France. It's literally smack right in the middle. So during the time of Silk Road, for example, it was a very important trade route. It was a trade outpost, Mm -hmm. and there was many important stops along the way within the Persian Empire. So that's why it has the influence. It's kind of, that's that's the thing. It has a, 
the influences of all of them. That's why it's none of them. Because it was the crossroads. So it has the elements of many different cultures, many different civilizations, yet it's inherently unique. I guess my last question for you then is the one I always like to end on is, do you have a favorite food memory? I do have a favorite food memory. So when I was a kid, I think I was about seven or eight, and it was very memorable trips we were on. This was because it's very nostalgic, you know, especially when you're a kid and everyone, like all your cousins are still young and you guys are just really innocent. There's very carefree, you know, it's halcyon days. And um, there's the city that my dad is from in Iran, it's called Dezful. And this is a very historic city because even before the Persian Empire, that specific region of Iran, there was another group of people called the Elamites. It was another civilization. They were there for maybe like a thousand to two thousand years before the Persians even arrived. So this was around the time of uh, Assyrians, Babylonians, Sumerians, all the other Mesopotamian civilizations. Elamites were one of them. And this city was near their capital of Shush. There's a river that's in the city. It's called Rude Dez. Rude means river. Dez is the, I guess, first part of the name of the city, Dezful. Actually, what it means is ful is a variation on the word for bridge of, in the original language. So the name of the river and the bridge. And because the bridge is very old, too. But anyways, my, back to the story. So uh, all my cousins, I like it was literally like my entire family, like my extended family, everyone it was probably like 60 or 70 people. We just had a date at the riverside, right? So it's a big river too. Well, not like Amazon big, but <laughs> there's this cliff. There's these series of cliffs that you could jump into the river. So we were doing like cliff jumping and the water's cold. I will say that. But during the heat of the day, it's really nice. And... I remember, so we just had this whole fun day with everyone around. We were just swimming in the water and, like, jumping into the river. And it was dusk. I think it was, it was, it was sundown. It was just, sun had just set. And we're all, like, saying, like, we're shivering. We have, like, our towels. It's getting cold. And uh, I remember my aunt. She just showed up out of nowhere with this giant pot. Like, this huge pot. Like, literally, it had enough of what I'm about to tell you for everyone there. What it contained was this soup called Ash, which is the most famous Persian soup. And it's Ash Rishte. Now, there's different kinds of Ash. There's Ash Anar, which Anar is pomegranate. So there's a pomegranate one. There's Ash Sholak Alamkar, which has a very... What is it? Like, you know how when you cook meat, like steak, for example, like it breaks down into the individual like fibers? That's what that one's like. It's cooked for a very long time. But this one, Asherishte, it's a vegetable stew. It has a lot of beans in it, but it also has like spinach. And I don't know exactly what all the other <laughs> like herbs in there are, but it's got a lot of vegetables and herbs, a lot of beans, like I said. And Rishte, which is noodle. So it has noodles in it, too. And it's very tasty, especially after a long day of swimming <laughs> and jumping off cliffs in the water. And they also, when it's served fresh, right on the spot right there, if you had a portable stove, what they do <laughs> is they saute like very finely diced onions. So hot onions and they're sweet, right? It's so good. And it's also got this other thing called kashk. I don't know what kashk is in English. It might be, it's, it's some kind of dairy product. It's a little bit, uh, it's not sour, Maybe it's buttermilk. I'm not sure. Okay. But they always serve it with kashk and the hot onions when it's fresh. And oh, it was so good. <laughs> I just remember sitting there with all of my family, just uh, 
indulging in this delectable soup. And it was perfect because of the, it was getting cool, like the sun had just set, and it hit the spot. That's probably my favorite food memory, especially in Iran. That was a great food memory. It sounds really fun and nice. Thanks. Thank you so much for, uh, well, before I officially end it, is there anything else you would like to talk about, say, or can do a quick little plug for the Frozen Club again? Yeah, I mean, if you guys uh, <laughs> if you guys are looking for a good time, if you want to have some fun dancing, um, just nightlife, turn up, definitely keep a lookout for our New Year's Noruz event. Uh, that should be around the end of winter quarter, so like March 21st, about there. And uh, also, uh, check out our Facebook page. We'll keep you posted for events and whatnot. And uh, shout out to Grace for having me on the show. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think I've learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners learned a lot. And yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Home Plates. New episodes come out every Wednesday. And you can now subscribe on iTunes. So go do that. Thanks for listening. I'm Aiden Walker. And I'm Blake Peterson. Together, we host a podcast called Cinema Adventure, where we discuss movies with important guests, talk about their favorite movies, and recommend movies that you may have never heard of before. So join us every other Monday on the Soundbite Network so we can film you in. Uh, Wasn't that good? It was really good. It's a good pun, isn't it? For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.